but um, I seen it and it was all I needed to see. And it's pure evil. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to tell you anything graphic about it. I'm just going to tell you the premise of it. And I want to show you where America's mindset is today. This is why when you and I go out and preach the words of life, all they know is death. This is why. Because their mind and their brain is consumed with death. It's a glorification I am state. seeing something on the screen and repulsed by it. I am sitting there dreading another needle in the eyeball. I am dreading another incision across the scalp and the peeling back of the scalp. That's dread. That is not horror, and that's not entertainment. It is dread. This is some of the Hollywood writers. It's simply appalling. The uh, night of the living dead, you know, the chainsaw massacre, this horrible stuff, the blood and gore. You, you don't want to focus on your life on that. Do you have horror movies and wicked movies so, like, in your home? I just crash at that point and then wake up and go on with my film stocks. No, wake up and shower, Dave. <laughs> I know, I should. I should. It's difficult. Skipping also, a like, day is not the end of the world. Yeah, it's not the worst thing. Like, I know some people that don't go, that don't shower for, like, four days. Those people are gross and should be ejected yeah. from society. <laughs> you would not fit in in, like, the previous two centuries or whatever. <laughs> well, luckily I wasn't born then. I was born now when people are expected to shower every day. So you've never skipped a day? Well, possibly, but I certainly don't make a <laughs> habit of it. Maybe when I was... Maybe when I was studying really hard, but I, I don't recall any situation. And then I would feel nervous about going out into the world. <laughs> oh, that's Unshowered, great. spreading that's my stuff. revolting sin. Welcome to the 52nd episode of the Horror Explorer podcast. Jesus, I can't believe that this was a- deleted. <laughs> <laughs> talking about being disgusting continue yeah please. you got yeah you got baited right into that you're welcome this is a podcast determined to turn people on to horror movies that they might have never seen or even heard of we like to focus on vhs era horror that most younger fans aren't aware of and some of the more obscure or unusual horror that's come out since uh this week there's only three of us jordan had to take the day off so because some stuff came up for him so it's just me alicia hello and critical dave Hello, I'm here again. You're here again, but we don't have any screeners for you, Dave. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. After that last experience, it was it's kind of a relief, really. The <laughs> whole time you were reviewing that movie, I was kind of cringing. I was like, wow, he's really, really tearing this movie apart. It was funny, too. The dude, he's like, he was, he was like, you know, so excited about it, which doesn't make any sense because our audience is not very big. And I'm sure he's never heard of us before. But, you know, he's emailing me. He's like, well, here, you know, just don't give away the twist. And I was like, okay, it'll be up in a couple of days. And it came out a little late, I think. And I emailed him. I said, okay, well, I put them, put it up now. So, uh, you know, enjoy. Cause I just, I just waiting for him to email me back about how pissed off he was about your review of his little movie. And that was on like February the 13th okay. when I emailed him, you know, and then I never heard from him again after that, after he watched it, I figured, well, you know, obviously you scared him away and he has nothing else to say about it. So no screener this week. In totally unrelated news, on February the 14th, we got a brand new iTunes review. Oh, sounds promising. Yeah, you guys want to hear it? Normally we do this at the end of the show, but for some reason I feel compelled to do it now. <laughs> Go ahead. So this this is a, a one-star review by PodCritic666, who oddly enough has only taken the time to review our podcasts and nothing else. <laughs> I can't see the connection. Continue. <laughs> After giving this podcast a trial run, five episodes, yikes, I have determined it to be practically unlistenable. Okay, so I wish I had that much free time, right, where I could just listen to five fucking hours of something that I hate. Five <laughs> unlistenable hours. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a little suspect right there. It but, takes okay, I'll take you on. To determine that it's unlistenable. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hey, thanks for listening. You know, I'm sorry you didn't like it. But no, it continues. I would try to avoid at all costs the quality of the equipment they use to record and the compression artifacts in the audio make for irritating listening experience. Yet he endured five hours of it. That's great. 
the hosts are kind of tiresome and fail to grab me at all. Well, thanks for giving us five hours to uh, establish that. There is a certain charisma needed to host a podcast that I was not aware of. And these guys need to reassess what they are doing. We we do that almost every episode. (laughs) Yeah. It's not over with yet. This is this is this is my favorite part because for some reason I'm not sure what this reason is, but he has really chosen to focus his criticism on Dave. And then I wonder why you would single that, Dave. Dave. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. My God, critical isn't the word. For someone who claims to be a critic, he is lacking in both cinematic vernacular or vocabulary and criticism. So that's he re- what confuses me, because I feel like I'm pretty critical. So, like, saying I lack criticism, am I not critical enough? So I think to say that you lack film vernacular, I think that's the opposite of your problem. You use film term- <laughs> terminology all the time. It's crazy, claim. Well, it wasn't good enough for this guy. Yeah, I don't know, like, the sentence structure there. He is lacking in both cinematic vernacular or vocabulary and criticism. So... That's kind of word salad right there. Maybe this was Sarah Palin. I think we need like a parenthetical like somewhere. Like maybe vernacular after vernacular. He meant like open paren or vocabulary close paren. That's that. I don't know because I feel like maybe he's elaborating because we might not know what the word vernacular means. So he's like saying vernacular is also like vocabulary or something. Oh, he's trying to enlighten us. That's great. Yeah. yeah, Oh, wait. It's not over. He reviews films and talks like a seventh grader. He seems to be void of any real substance. The other hosts seem to use him as some sort of comic relief clown jester, always sighing and ripping on him. That's fairly accurate. Yeah, <laughs> not, not the real not substance part. Over, this is great. It just gets so personal. Overall, <laughs> Dave just feels a little like he was never able to self-actualize. So he decided instead to be a quote-unquote critic. I sort of feel sorry for him, frowny face. (laughs) On the plus side, I do like some of the other films they talk about, but I'd rather hear the guys from, and then he lists off some other podcasts, instead. So I don't know what happened there, Dave. It looks like you might have got under someone's skin. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe I should be less critical. But this guy says I'm lacking criticism, so maybe I should be more critical. Yeah, As if that were even possible. More film vernacular, more criticism. That's what you need. (laughs) Oh, man. I hope you guys are ready for, like, a boatload of lighting terms today. Nah. Nah, we don't really need that. This guy, you know, I again, whoever you are, can't imagine who. You know, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to five hours of a show that you hate and then uh, give us, like, a 1,600-word essay about why you don't like Dave. I mean, I could have I summed up why I don't like Dave in, like, 200 words, but I guess this guy wanted to be detailed. <laughs> God. And it's a one-star review, like, you know, like, that's going to hurt us somehow. Like, someone was like, man, I'm thinking about listening to this podcast, but this one-star review by the guy who listened to it for five fucking hours has changed my mind. That's sad. That's real sad. It's not like an IMDb rating or something like that, and that's really going to hurt us. But again, thanks for the review. A review is a review. So good job, buddy. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. He is podcritic666. Yeah, when you put the 666 on there, you know, that's like saying, hey, I'm a very mature and articulate person. (laughs) Pod lover 696969. Yeah, I was just about to say, it's like open your gamer tag with like 69, then your name, then 69. Yeah. Maybe this is his Xbox gamer tag or something. All right, we've given this twit enough time. So every week I have these guys, you know, whichever ones choose to show up, uh, watch one of those older or more obscure movies that most people their age might not be familiar with, usually something along the lines of uh, something I grew up with or something I really like. Uh, try to be more obscure, but not always. Uh, because the whole point of this podcast is to make younger horror fans aware that the best new horror movie that they see this year could actually be a movie from 30 years ago that they didn't even know existed. And this week, Mike made us watch The Children, 1980 by Max Kalmanizov. And The Children is one of your 80s environmental horror movies since the the movie begins with a leak at a nuclear power plant or something like that. And basically what the movie is about is you've got a busload of children that drive through a toxic or radioactive cloud, and then they get, like, black fingernails, and they smile a lot, and they start frying people by touching them with their hands. I'd heard of this movie before. I'd seen a few, like, 
bits and pieces of it here and there. And I just know that since it's a movie titled The Children, I probably shouldn't watch it. But Alicia, have you heard of it before? I had never seen it before. I'd never heard of it. Well, there I don't know if there's a remake, but there's a far more recent film called The Children, which I had seen where they're all at some sort of ski resort. Yeah, yeah, that's like, yeah. 2009 or 2010 or something. Yeah, so I've seen that one. had never heard of this one. Mm. Brand new. Uh, I saw this once when I was growing up. It was like on TV, maybe on a pay station or something like that. Not too long after it came out, you know, probably in the early 80s. I remember when I was a kid, of course, this is like before I'm even 10 years old, I found it kind of frightening. But, you know, kind of much the same way as Troll because there's that whole it centers around children my age type thing going on. So it makes you identify with what's going on a little more. But uh, I've seen it once or twice since then, you know, of course, and then I watched it again for the podcast. Uh, it's not like an important movie to me, but it's just it's it's obscure. And I like how it was kind of lost to the ages, you know, somewhat until Troma finally found a one of the few remaining film prints of it. And they made a uh, DVD 25th anniversary thing for it in like 2005 or something like that. So. And you can really tell how rare it is because the film itself is very scratched up and whatnot. You can see the film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wasn't sure if that was the version I was watching and it was just like a bad VHS rip, but clearly it's just it's what we've got now. Yeah, actually, I've heard the VHS copies of this. that was published on VHS twice uh, in, the, in the 80s. I've heard that they're actually higher quality insofar as they don't have the film grain and stuff. Like, they got, got it off of a cleaner print. I mean, oh. literally, when they did when they did the 25th anniversary thing for this, they had to dig up something in like the early 2000s that was a film print of this rather than whatever they used for the transfer for the VHS cassettes when those came out. So, yeah, and if you guys, you know, you, you want to know what we're talking about, like if you ever watched uh, a Grindhouse movie like the actual Grindhouse movies that Tarantino did or the other movies that have been coming out the last couple of years, they're supposed to be throwbacks to the Grindhouse era and they put like that fake scratches and burn marks and stuff like that over the top of the movie and it looks a little bit fake but you know when they're trying to show that a movie's old or set farther back they put all those scratches and shit and that film effect on it uh this movie you can tell where the reels begin and end because it'll get like a thousand times worse than that towards the beginning and the end of the reels i mean they'll just be scratch marks everywhere and cigarette burns on it which are the little things they use if you ever watch fight club the little circles they put on there to let the projectionist know when to switch reels i mean this thing is it's got a lot of texture Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's very much an artifact of its age. Texture's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. When the film goes... I'm just not sure how it got this torn up. It's a very damaged copy that we're watching. So just keep that in mind, any listeners out there. Also, we're watching a pan and scanned copy, I believe. I don't know. No. At least the version I saw was pan and scanned. So it's harder to evaluate cinematography when like two-thirds of the frame is cut out. No, I think actually what it is is the only uh, film print they could get was literally in 133 to 1 or whatever this is. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's a – it's not a pan and scan. There's no widescreen of this existing right now. Like the VHS tapes could be pan and scan or something like this, but this was just done from a film print. And it oh. got that bad just from sitting there for 25 years probably. Okay. And – uh Troma also, and you know, if you guys want to watch this movie, it's on YouTube for free. Troma put out the uh, 25th anniversary in 2005 DVD for this. And then I think about 2012 or so, they uploaded it to their YouTube channel in its entirety. So you can watch the same version we watched on YouTube if you want to check it out. We'll see what these guys have to say about the children right after this. If you'd like to contact us here at the Horror Explorer Podcast, you can reach us via email at horrorexplorerpodcast at gmail.com, or you can interact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash horrorexplorer, and you can follow us on our Twitter account, at horrorexplorer. All right, we're back. Now we'll see what everyone has to say about the children. Okay, so I I guess I'll start us off, as usual, with the opening. So to open with the opening, we start off with clouds moving overhead from the sky, but we tilt down to reveal that the clouds are actually not, like, natural clouds. They're clouds that are coming from the nuclear plant that we are at currently. And then we get a montage of shots showing the nuclear plant being empty, and we eventually settle on a slow push-in on a leaky like pipe or something something along those lines and it's we already we we're already watching a different version of the movie dave 
Really? Because in mine, it starts out with guys walking around outside of like a plant and uh, talking about how there was some kind of pressure drop. They can't find a leak anywhere and it's time to punch out and go home. And it's not like they're going to get paid overtime. So let's just leave and all that. And then you see the little leaking thing. Uh, yeah, I skipped over that part. Yeah, I saw that one too. Wait, did you see the guys walking around there? Yes, or yes you I just different? skipped okay. over that part. Yeah, but anyway, so when the leak is dropping or hitting the ground, I suppose, it's creating a gas, and eventually the gas fills the screen and the title appears. That shot where it was like the dripping pipe was for so long, I felt like I spent 45 minutes staring at that tap as it like very slowly zoomed in. I was like, I get it. It's leaking. I get it. Oh, my God. Yeah, early on also when the guys are leaving and they, they're getting to their talking, you know, is there like, you know, they're leaving because they, they're not going to get paid overtime. So he's like, okay, I'm going to get in the car. You want to buy me a beer? Yeah, I'll buy you a beer. It's this really long, pointless conversation. And then you sit there and the camera has to show like all three and a half minutes of this guy unchaining and opening a fence and letting the car through and then <laughs> closing it behind it and getting in the car and all that. It's like right off the bat, it started out with some really ridiculous padding. I didn't have a huge problem with that. It's atmospheric and the music does a good enough job at foreboding that being foreboding that i was never super bored with this i was bored i did not find it atmospheric i found it incredibly frustrating as a viewer like it seems like like a waste of my time almost as a viewer like i've got isn't there something else you want to show me other than three minutes of a tap dripping like yeah that's yeah, true it, well you know it just seems like that's it's not for a uh, atmospheric effect for me it just seemed like padding again yeah, that's understandable. For me, I thought of it more as like in survey of the space, like emphasizing the space, because I thought the nuclear plant was going to play a much bigger role in the film. But I guess in retrospect, it was just pouting. It's just yeah. an exciting incident. Yeah, yeah. Also, I actually liked when the title appeared over the gas because it shows that the gas is going to create the creatures or the monster or whatever it is because the children, the title itself, describes the monsters. So when the children, the title, the children, emerges from the gas, it tells us that the monster is going to come from the gas. Yes, I agree, except in the title, like the font that they've used, they've got this weird fucking little chicken leg coming out of the R. <laughs> and I saw that and was like, definitely a bird's leg, something kind of birdie coming up. Never, never revisited. That's a goddamn chicken leg. I <laughs> think everyone should go and look up the children like opening title. To be fair, there was that chicken jump scare later on when a few people open up a door to a barn and a chicken flies out and attacks them. Yeah. You see a couple scenes with chickens in this, actually, because the guys are trying to sell skinny chickens to uh, Molly at the general store. Well, I thought it, it certainly... would play maybe a bigger role to have a chicken's <laughs> leg coming out of the title credit. Well, it certainly does look like a chicken leg to me as well, you know, except it doesn't have the meaty part. It's just the bony part of the chicken leg with the claw at the end. But, I mean, I really think their intent was for it to be like some kind of a claw. Yeah, like an evil hand. That's how I viewed it as well, all joking aside. Maybe. But I obviously, yeah, when I first saw that, I I was waiting for an evil chicken that never came. Just so disappointing. Anyway, so moving on, we are immediately subjected to children – singing in a bus and i'm like uh, okay okay that's great where you get children singing but luckily it's immediately cut off when the bus drives into a uh, the nuclear mist not immediately once again enough. yeah not immediately it's so long <laughs> so long of the kids singing and then like shots of the bus driver who seems very okay with his bus load of very irritating children <laughs> Like it yeah, it a- literally gets through – it goes through like six verses of 99 bottles of beer on the wall, and then they start another song about their fucking bus driver. Oh, how they love their bus driver. Yeah. <laughs> I was on a school bus in the 80s, and nobody sang. No, not <laughs> – I completely agree. It was ridiculous and just so long. Like I guess they were trying to show that the children were happy and liked their bus driver, so surely they wouldn't do anything, you know – untoward to the bus driver. Yeah, I think that's what they were going for. But it was just so long. Like, I got it within 20 seconds, and it just took forever to get to the point. 
Right, right. And speaking of that, we get so many transportation shots, like so many shots of just vehicles moving. Like we get a lot of just cars jumping around here and there. And it seems kind of filler-y, but the shots are interesting enough where I'm never going like, please just move on already. I'm always looking at something. So that's at least keeping me entertained. Oh, my God, so much. I was like, please move on. This is <laughs> critical Alicia this week and forgiving Dave. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you, Alicia. This is kind of like the Lord of the Rings if they had cars. Because there's just nonstop driving here and there, and they show way too much of it. And it really, it, in my opinion, it kind of bogs the movie down. Yeah. yeah. It's you like you watch- Sorry, but Some of these shots are very motivated. For example, the police eventually like stumble upon a bus that's empty. So they're wondering where are all these children. So the travel shot there is actually very motivated because we get the shot of the police car pulling up to the bus from behind a graveyard, implying that like all these children are basically dead. But I mean, you also get a shot from the inside of the bus showing that it is empty as the police officer slowly walks to the bus. Mm -hmm. So slowly. And that they've left all their stuff there, I guess is the other message they were trying to say they left in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. They left all their little kid stuff. They left in a hurry, but they didn't film it in a hurry. My God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did you guys ever get the feeling that the deputy and his love interest, like the farm girl, were supposed to become the main characters? Because we do spend a really long time lingering on their relationship. So I felt they were going to become the main characters. Yeah, definitely. I thought they would play a more significant role than they did. But I mean, none of the characters are really given very much depth in this movie. Yeah, I was going to talk about that a little bit. Because each character, aside from their role, like the sheriff is the sheriff, the father is the father, etc., 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 the pregnant woman is pregnant. That's all the characterization they're given, which makes it impossible to like see them in any depth. And their characters don't really have any layers. Like, no character really changes over the course of this film. No, yeah, no I feel like... Art. Yeah. Sometimes the characters were introduced and I was like, oh, my God, this person is so bizarre. There's definitely going to be some sort of reasoning behind that. And it's never explained. It's just a town of fucking weirdos. Like um, when the sheriff is sort of investigating the busload of children and he goes and finds a woman who's sunbaking. Do you remember this scene? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He just runs into someone's backyard. Yeah. She's so she's really angry and he's like, Oh, I'm looking for your lost child. And she's basically like telling him to fuck off. She's so annoyed. And then she goes inside. There's the blonde woman sitting at a piano and she starts stroking her face. And it's just the weirdest thing. There's so many pointless details added in that scene. You know, like uh, for instance, you're, you're led to believe what happens is he, he goes to like a house nearby after he finds the empty bus and he walks into the yard, dogs barking like crazy, very annoying. And then he asks this woman, he's like, hey, you know, I is what's her name home? I can't remember who he was looking for because I just found a bus that had no kids in it. And I wanted to find out if the kid made it back yet. And she's just a total bitch the whole time. The dog's barking. All of her responses are bitchy. And then she goes to go in the house to look for whoever he wanted to talk to. And she opens up the sliding glass door and closes it before he can get in the house. And he just stands there looking. And then there's <laughs> yeah. a girl sitting there in like a nightgown in the middle of the day playing a piano. The mom is like, take your medicine. And I'm like, OK, so this girl, like, what's wrong with her? Like, what are we are we going to get more reincorporation of her character? And that never happens. This is the only time. We yeah, see they're, just like, they're just like they're just like uh you know, I don't even know if that's her mom. I don't know what's going on there. But she walks up and she starts stroking her face. She's like, well, is, is I forget the name of their kid. Is so-and-so back yet? And she's like, no, everything will be okay. And she's like, well, who's at the door? There's a fucking sliding glass door four feet from you with a sheriff, like with his face pressed up against the window trying to look inside. And she don't know who's at the door. So I guess it's trying to tell you that she's blind. <laughs> oh, wait, Something really? like that? Oh, you think? That's what I think oh, is no, going no, no. on I there. I because- she answers. Because she, she calls out the first time. She's like, who's there when they're, when they're both outside? And the sunbaking oh woman God. is like, it's the sheriff. And then she comes in the house, closes the sliding door, and the girl asks again, who's there? She's like, it's the yeah, and sheriff. And she's like standing right there. <laughs> and this is the best part. She strokes her face. She's like, eh, take some more codeine. And yeah. gives her a bottle of codeine, which is like a <laughs> narcotic pain medication for the 1% of her listeners that don't already know that. And then goes off, and then that's the end of that. And you don't see this girl again until she's dead at the same fucking piano. 
It's so weird. So weird. This town is so weird. And then the sheriff goes to the next house, sunbaking again, this fucking town of sunbakers. And he goes, have you seen your daughter? And her response is, ain't she a bit young for you, sheriff? She's only nine. (laughs) (laughs) She's every bit as sarcastic as the woman before her was bitchy. She's laying out there naked sunbathing. Uh, she barely even covers her tits when the cop shows up. And then, like, her husband or boyfriend or whatever is just sitting there doing curls, like, nonstop with his mustache. And they he's asking about their kid, and they do not care that their kid is gone. Like, yeah, whatever, it'll be fine. And he said, well, you know, a bunch of kids are, are missing now. And they're, and she says something to the effect of, ooh, isn't that a mystery? There might have been a kidnapping in our little town. Real sarcastically, it makes no sense. And, and then also- she lights up a she lights up a joint in front of the cop while she's doing this. <laughs> Also, she gets very, very excited about the prospect of there being a kidnapping. Like she like claps her hands a little and smiles and is like, oh, my gosh, hubby, like can you believe there's going to be a kidnapping here? And it's her child that has been kidnapped. So I'm like, okay, sure. It's like the couple from Terrorvision almost except like not being played satirically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was going to say much the same thing. And out of all the performances in this movie, the absolute worst one has to come from the curl bro with the mustache who is her husband. <laughs> Every line he delivers, it's like something out of uh, like a high school film. It's terrible. Oh, my God. Well, they were probably all porn actors. I mean, I don't think any of the performances were particularly good. But just the dialogue, like so weird that he asked if she'd seen her daughter and she responds as though the sheriff is coming on to the child. Like, how did you make that connection? So strange. It's like it's a ham-handed approach to paint sexuality in a bad light. Like this is the progressive family or something like that. You know, oh. she's out there sunbathing nude and they got a pool and they're rich and he's out there doing curls. And he's got a lot of muscles. It's like kind of like a dig at yuppies or something. I don't know. It's hard to tell because it's so clumsily done. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I, I don't know. I think uh, getting into the theme of the film, I bit, I, I think the message that the filmmakers were trying to convey throughout is is it really fair to like bring children into a world where this is what they have to endure? So perhaps these parents and these uh, messed families are related to that theme. I, I did not get that theme out of it. No, there, it seemed just, to me if there's if if there was any theme to this movie, it was uh, oh no, nuclear power. Well, that too. <laughs> that too. But I think the closing montage really establishes that like should children really be like in this world? You know? Wow. Okay. I feel like you're giving them a bit more credit than yeah. they deserve. Perhaps, perhaps. Because it well, wasn't. Let's, like not, let's not dwell on the end too much, though. Yeah, we, yeah. We can get to that. What did you guys think of the music? Like the, the music was mixed yeah. in a very confusing way because it just randomly swelled for almost no reason, and the music always precedes the scare. Normally, like the music happens right on the scare, but it precedes the well, scare. It's trying to help build it up. I liked the music. Uh, as a matter of fact, once again, this is Henry Manfredi. That name familiar to you, Dave? Yeah, of course. He did the score for the Friday the Thirteenth. Words. Uh, sorry. And this is this is literally this is literally the same score from Friday the Thirteenth, the first movie. Oh, you think? I thought it sounded like Psycho, like the shower scene. It was very like. Burp, burp. I guess they also well, you know, but if you listen to the first Friday the 13th, a lot of the musical cues in that are similar to the music from Psycho. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. I think I think this has been recycled more than once, too. Actually, I believe the way it worked is he made this first or he scored this first and then he scored Friday the 13th as well with pretty much the same score. Mm. But Friday the 13th was released like a little bit before this movie, I believe. Okay. Okay. Because both were came out in 1980, I know. Yeah, I don't know which one came first, but but I don't. I didn't have a problem with the music in this movie. It, it uses a lot of the same stuff over and over again, but there's enough variety in it that it seems to work. It doesn't. It's not as repetitive as it is like with the, you know, with the inappropriate use of music in uh, Cannibal Ferox or something like that. I mean, it's, it sounds like a normal horror score, very slashery for sure, but it worked yeah, with I the movie a- in my opinion. I didn't have a problem with the music itself. I thought it was very interesting. It's part of what kept me engaged throughout the movie. But I felt the mixing was off. That's my issue. Like volume levels were a bit weird at various times. Like when he chose to increase the volume at certain points to emphasize horror elements, that's when I felt it was a little weird. Uh, Special effects in this movie 
uh, for our audience, what this basically is, is the school bus drives through a cloud of radioactive or toxic gas, and the children on it become monsters uh, insofar as that their eyes look a little bit like they've been awake for a day or two, and they have black fingernails like a, you know, like a Wiccan girl or something like that. And with these black fingernails, when they touch people, they kind of deep fry people without the oil. So what happens is when they encounter an adult, they put their hands out like a zombie and they'll say like mommy or daddy or whatever the fuck. And then they'll embrace their loved one and then fry them like a, like a piece of chicken, basically. So the special effects for that, what do you guys think about that? I really liked it. I liked their melting faces. And I could see, obviously, you know, they didn't have a great deal of budget to make it a smooth transition. So it was like bit fried, quite fried, very fried. And it would yeah, it was, like a, it's like what I like to call the Wolfman transition where there's, you know, the old Wolfman movies where it's a little bit of hair, a little bit more hair, a little bit more hair. But it's just it's just editing together progression rather than actually showing it. Exactly. Yeah. That's the, well, the effects themselves I had no issue with, but it's the way they showed those effects. Like we get a bunch of dissolves on people's faces to show the progression of the effect, like the Wolfman transformation effect that Mike mentioned. So that was really, really cheesy in my opinion. It looked like something out of a 50s film, but the effects themselves were very well done. I didn't mind it at all. It really – it's almost something I could have gone without noticing and just showing a little bit by bit by bit like that. It didn't really take me out of the movie and it didn't detract from my enjoyment of the special effects. And the special effects kind of look like, I don't know, like paper mache and Play-Doh to a certain extent. What it reminds me of is any zombie in an Italian zombie movie like Zombie 2 that we watched or something like that. The final – the final – result of them being fried is not extraordinary looking or anything like that but it's good enough i mean it looks like they got put in a deep fryer and i liked it yeah yeah definitely the pfx were a good part of this film and the pfx practical effects anyway well that is some film vernacular right there yeah Yeah. i wasn't i wasn't even thinking of that but i was gonna say that unknown reviewer (laughs) (laughs) but anyway Normally people say SFX, but there's some ambiguities. But regardless, so I felt that like the emo hands, like the only indication that the creatures that the children are infected is their fingernails are painted. And I thought that was a bit weak overall. Like they could have done more with the kids. Well, you know, there's more there's more to indicating that there's something wrong with the kids just than their appearance. Their behavior also indicates there's something wrong with them. The big freakish grins that they have. I mean, I thought they did a good job with that. The rigid movement, the the way they hold their hands out kind of like zombies, the way they speak and stuff like that. You know, it doesn't all have to be a picture to describe something to you. That's true. That's true. Also, I really like the child performances. I thought they all conveyed the vacation. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you you liked all of the child performances dave like all of them no no i mean the children in general the whole monstrous crowd i thought they did a fine job i had no issue all right so it's not okay whatever uh what i wanted to point out is i had no problem with what i mean it's not the children who played the children it's not their fault that they chose for the children to just walk around with their arms sticking out and say mommy or daddy and stuff like that. So I can't fault them for that. But where I can find fault with a child actor in this is Clark, who is John and Kathy's young son, who's like three or four. Every scene with him is horrible. He's written horribly, and his performance is ridiculously bad. And I was really actually quite thrilled that he was a child death in this movie because he was very annoying. And he does like the stupid, oh, darn thing when they send him to bed at 430 in the afternoon because it's past his bedtime <laughs> and stuff like that. It's his they shouldn't have given him any lines at all and they would have done just as well. But I imagine like a lot of the other kids in this movie, he was related to the producers or the actors or someone on the crew or something like that. So they had to give him lines. Yeah, I felt that Clark's presence, though, even though I agree that his performance was terrible, as I agree that like pretty much every performance in this film was bad, aside from the children that played the children themselves, I thought his role in the film was that to, of creating anxiety in the audience. Because before we see any kids in the movie, like 
aside from the school bus kids, we see the kids as killers that are just – we get a montage of like the kids killing various people around town. And then when we see Clark, Clark is always shown in like a pseudo fake jump scare. So for example, one time he's like sliding down a banister into frame and that's almost a jump scare. And the audience – I don't know about that. Yeah, the audience at this point has been conditioned to like associate kids with danger. So we're like, oh no, is this kid infected? Like for a split second. So I thought he but was. But there's a lot of scenes with him just laying in bed. Yeah, yeah. Um, aside from those scenes. Yeah, I didn't think they were too bad. I did think they were good enough to warrant Dave like calling them the first half reasonable child actors in the history of film. They They were <laughs> fine. Uh, it yeah, almost Clark- seems like it's a gimmick on Dave's part at this point. Yeah. <laughs> what? What uh, do you mean? Well, like she said, their 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 performance is not good enough to warrant you not saying it's horrible. I mean, usually a child that gives these kind of child performances, you would be gutting that child like a fish. <laughs> well, yeah. I think the, the unnaturalness of the children's performances was fine in this case because they were supposed to be like zombies. So I thought it was fine. They took their direction right. well. I get it. So he he likes children when they're acting like little weirdos because he feels like old children are weird. <laughs> so when a child's acting like a child, he's annoyed that they're not giving maybe like an Oscar-worthy performance or that's not what he envisions a child to be like. No, no. Is that not, it? But when a child's acting like a freak, you're like, ah, oh, spot on. Just a, <laughs> a child actor. A good performance for a child is not the same thing as a good performance for a, a regular actor. So if the child is a bad performer in general, then it's going to take me out of the Primitive film. Dave. Okay. I read you. Fine. Dave yeah. and his exhaustive defense of every point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Clark, Clark didn't annoy me particularly. The person that annoyed me more in those scenes was his weirdo preg mum. She... She had such a deep voice. Did anyone else notice this or was this the version I had? She, sound, she sounded like a truck stop waitress. She, yeah, she had smoked every day since infancy. Like, I don't know. Oh, not only has she smoked every day for, since infancy, but she's pregnant, stroking her stomach, lighting a cigarette after drinking a mixed drink. And she says yeah. sorry to her child. She like looks down her stomach and says sorry and then continues smoking and drinking. <laughs> Oh, God, she was so weird. Yeah, next to – I think next to her, Clark could have done anything. He just didn't didn't register for me as much as she did. She was so strange. So one of, one of the upsides of uh, having a female cast member on the podcast is we can have a slightly more in-depth and balanced conversation about misogyny. Uh, did you get any misogynistic vibes off of this movie, Alicia? Um. No, I guess not particularly. All the characters were a bit weird. So obviously they had the two women at the beginning, sunbathe thing. One was an absolute bitch. One with her rogue tits was just weird. Um, <laughs> but I didn't like, but then like you said, the, the guy that was um, working out beside the the weird horny sunbaker was just as dumb. So to me, I, it didn't register as like females in this movie, uh, dumb assholes. Everyone in this town. Well, one thing I noticed in this is it seemed to be that women, well, not so much women. If you look at the relationship between John and Kathy, the more or less main characters, the pregnant chick and her husband, who's uh, present for everything. And that's he's mainly the one that the movie follows, I guess. Uh, you notice how he's always yelling at her and oh, yeah, to do things and he stuff was, like that. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that as well. He's like, make me a sandwich and stuff look like that. Look how loud I have to yell! Like, he comes home, and all the stuff's going on, and, like, she doesn't know anything's going on. She's just sitting around being pregnant, wondering where her kid is. And she's just sitting there minding her own business, and all of a sudden, her husband and the sheriff come blasting through the front door with guns, like, all frantic and sweaty and stuff like that. And the sheriff's going for the phone, and the husband's like, where's the, where's Clark? Where's my son? Is he okay? Have you checked him? And she's like, what's going on? You know, can you tell me what's going on? He's like, just make some coffee! And it's like, Wow. And their relationship is like that right up until the end where he's bossing her around and yelling at her and stuff like that. And then when she's about to give birth at the end, you notice she's giving the orders, boil some water, get some towels, stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know if that was an intentional like twist of 
like who's in command at that point, though. I don't. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not sure. I mean, I just noticed that that's when it kind of lets up. But it seems like he's really bullies her quite a bit. And the other thing I noticed is the way that everyone in the movie regards Susie, the farm girl, who is the deputies trying to hook up with her. And he keeps getting cock blocked by like the sheriff and a farmer and all these other people is, you know, all the commentary about her is just purely sexual in nature. And it's a little bit over the top. Speaking yeah. of over the top, we get a POV shot of one of the people watching her rear as she like bicycles away. And I'm I like, like that shot. What do you mean you like that shot? <laughs> I like on, on every level. I thought that was a good shot. Well, I thought it was the type of shot that Slumber Party Massacre would parody because it, I mean it wasn't poorly composed or anything, but it just so happened that the rear of the attractive female main character it didn't was- just so happen. This it's an illustration of the point of view of the two hick guys at the roadblock, one of which played Bennings in the thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're constantly talking to the deputy about, well, did you fuck her yet? Did you get up in there? Did you at least get a hand job? Stuff like this. And even when she's not, a, you know, even when she's around and stuff like that, they're kind of inappropriate, even though she's right in earshot. And as she leaves on the bike, it kind of goes from them talking like that to that point of view of just focusing in on her ass. Okay. Okay. So it's not like, it's not, it's not just a deliberate attempt to elicit sexual arousal from the audience that's unrelated to anything. It's an illustration of the of the point of view that the male characters in that scene were taking. Okay, I thought I, I just thought in context of the rest of the film because we get that topless sunbather and we get a close up on her breasts for like really no reason, and then we slowly pull out to reveal the sheriff's there, and then she turns around to face the sheriff and covers herself. Okay, so that was very gratuitous. So I just interpreted yeah. that other Again, shot. I don't know if that's gratuitous. Again, like you were saying, it could be like a uh, less effective attempt to do what they did in Terror Vision. It's right. just to show that, that they are flawed as parents because they are, in the instance of the mother, is sexually liberated. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's what happens with a character that arrives in the town. Like, he's coming to, like, swing with them or something. Yeah, these some yeah. There's like a scene where a, a pimp tries to get into the town. They set up a roadblock using these two redneck morons to keep people from getting in and out of the town till they can find the missing children. And at one point, a pimp comes up and they won't let him through. And then he makes a phone call, I guess, to that woman who was showing her tits to the sheriff. And uh, then they let him through. And then later on, he's dead. But it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. All I took away from that scene is for a split second, I thought the guy driving the limo was Larry from Three's Company. Okay, I, I don't know. I've yeah, never I don't, no, company. you guys don't know who that is. Someone in the audience know who's, knows who Larry from Three's Company is. That's all that matters. Back to me being super technical and anal about everything. I really want to There's talk that about that. talk we talked about. <laughs> and anyway, let's talk about the lighting. So there are lots of exterior shots that happen at night. And something really interesting is everything is black. Like, you can see almost nothing. But the only thing you can see are the characters. All the characters have, like this really pointed spotlight on them. And I thought that was really interesting and emphasized like the fear of the unknown in those scenes really well. And I, I love that despite the, you know, the low budget of this film, usually these low budget films, when you have a dark scene like that, it ends up, it ends up kind of obscuring what's really going on. You have to struggle to see stuff, but in the dark scenes in this film, everything you need to see, you can see it's lit enough or it's lit correctly to where the dark scenes in this film don't feel like you're just staring at a black screen and you're not struggling to see what you need to see. I really did like that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Especially the lighting on the children's faces. We get a lot of really, what's the word? A lot of, I guess a lot of really high contrast light that, obscures their eyes so there are shadows over their eyes but the rest of their body is lit so it shows that they're like not really there you know they're not really human anymore yeah yeah but yeah speaking of the children we haven't really talked about the child death have we no Uh, not yet no no we haven't yeah so i thought the child death was very surprising and unexpected yeah me too the child death in itself was very surprising and interesting but it, 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 what sucks is that it's it's connected to this chain of events that's beyond fucking stupid. So you've got Clark is the child of the main character and his wife who's pregnant. And he is upstairs in his bed through most of the movie because it was past his bedtime at 4.30 p.m. Laying there asleep. Uh, you see the dad go up there and check on him a couple of times and the mother. But at one point, 
one of the children children somehow magically gets up on the roof outside of Clark's bedroom window and makes a little bit of noise. Clark wakes up and lets him in. Now, this other kid, the children children kid, is named Polly or Paul or something like that. And he's like, oh, hey, Polly. And then he hits him as tags and says, you're it. And then proceeds to start hiding under the bed and other furniture and stuff like that, which makes no fucking sense. So this kid wakes up in the middle of the night, lets a kid come in through his window and immediately assumes he wants to play tag, even though this zombie kid, one of the children, he doesn't say or do anything or anything like that. And it's just to create this ridiculous excuse for the fact that the kid isn't going to get attacked right away to build the suspense to make you think the kid's going to survive. Exactly, yeah. The setup for it is, like you said, beyond ridiculous. But I think the death itself is fine. But yeah, I mean, very transgressive. Yeah. In in the the space of two kids interacting, I didn't think it was so crazy. And then compared to the behavior of the rest of the characters, like I, I just I didn't <laughs> seem completely obscene to me. In the context of that crazy world. Yeah, exactly. In this universe where you yell at a sheriff who's trying to find your child, like I guess yeah, it's not the while you're smoking thing. pot. Yeah. I, I was glad that the that the child death was there. I didn't like that character. I'm glad it was gone. You know, it's not just I want kids to die. I just like when a movie goes somewhere that you don't expect it to go and it crosses a line that most don't cross. You know, just so people aren't confused that I'm like a uh, like a secret child murderer or something. But what bummed me out about it, I did like it and all that, but man, why didn't we get the Wolfman transformation scene of the kid getting fried and turning into paper mache? We didn't even get his screams. It was a completely silent yeah. death, unlike all the other death. I think the movie was willing to go transgressive enough to kill the child, but was not going to go the extra step. So how about all those other screams and stuff in this movie? I, As a child, again, that was something – that is one thing that stands out as something that I did find frightening is when they kill the children. Spoiler alert, you can only kill the children by cutting off their hands, and you better cut off both of them. Uh, when they die, they make this really – horrifying like scream moan growl noise i really really liked it what do you guys think of it it reminded me a lot of benning's scream from the thing which is funny wow, because yeah benning's is like in this movie as well uh it, yeah that's, it that's, me that's true i didn't even notice benning's in the film but yeah i i i see it now for sure yeah well he doesn't have the beard like he does in the thing yeah and also he was a so, little creepier uh, in this film Oh, yeah, yeah. It almost looked like the guy that was playing his brother was actually related to him, too. Yeah, I thought they yeah. were twins at first, but I suppose not. Yep. So uh, the other thing is when people die, they scream as well. And I thought, like, when Susie got killed, that was actually a pretty blood-curdling scream that she let out. I really liked it because when you do an off-scene death like they did with Susie, you know, what else do you have to convey any horror except a scream? And it was uh, not a typical horror movie or slasher off-screen death scream it was uh it was gr graphic is the only word i could use it really sounded like she was dying and it hurt real bad mm -hmm. certainly and also in that same shot we get the bike wheel like slowly coming to a stop to signal her death as well yep so there are like little things in this movie that this movie does really well little details that you wouldn't expect in a movie normally from from a movie of this budget but yeah another thing want to talk about a little bit is the threat because in horror movies a lot of the suspense and tension comes from the threat and the children are very since they're so slow moving it makes them not much of a threat even though they can fry people so i was curious what you guys thought about the children as villains well you know to me they don't they're not a threat the way that like a zombie is a threat or that like some kind of creature feature monster is a threat or an animal or something like that. The threat doesn't come from their stature or their physical prowess. The threat comes from the fact that they're children and they want to hug you. And if it's your kid, you're going to hug them back. That's the threat. The threat is the violation of trust. The threat is the perversion of the familial bond. And I think it's effective, despite the fact that they just stretch their hands out and stuff like that. And it's like sub night of the living dead, you know, very, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very rigid. It's like something you'd see in an Ed Wood film almost, but because of the context in which it, it's given where they're these children that are missing and their, their parents are, you know, are happy to see them or their family members or whatever. Uh, it's effective anyways, and it doesn't bother me at all. So I, I actually thought that was pretty good. But sometimes it was, I found it to be really frustrating. Like, um, you know, you want to hug your kids to a point, but then there was the, the abusive dad who 
saw his daughter hurt somebody and then still wanted to go and touch her. Like he, he pulled his wife away from touching her because he knew that she'd kill someone. And then she goes, daddy. And then he reaches out an arm like that. Nobody's that dumb. Yeah. He, after he already established that the children were a threat and he knew what they could do, he still allowed himself to be suckered in, which could be bad writing or inconsistency, or it could just be a statement on the uh, power of uh, parenthood or whatever the fuck. I don't know. I don't have any kids. I would have just chopped his hands off probably before it even got infected. (laughs) (laughs) Just cause stop touching my shit. Um, she, she wasn't even like a really little kid. Like I could understand maybe if it was a toddler that you'd want to pick it up, but she was a teenager. Like dads and teenage girls don't get along anyway. I'm sure he wanted to like, is this, is this some kind of insight into your relationship with your father? (laughs) I'm not a teenage girl, but just like, I mean, teenage teenagers don't get along with fucking anyone. I, I highly doubt that he genuinely just in his heart wanted to hold his teenage daughter knowing that yeah. that she was killing people. I just like, – I found that incredibly frustrating. Yeah. yeah. I think at times, you know, you're com- – not you but maybe myself or anyone could be compelled to take a movie like this and maybe give it a little too much credit as far as themes and motivations and stuff like that. And in all likelihood, you're right. It's just, just kind of a ridiculous mistake on their part because they wanted to get some kind of a, I got, I got fried, but I didn't die scene in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's the rest of his motivation for being so gung ho about killing them. Yeah. He goes to fucking town on them, like within 10 minutes of that scene. Right. Yeah. The last one that he kills is, uh, it's just some random girl, but uh, there's at one point they only cut off one hand of one of the children to kill it, and you think it's dead. But later at the end, after they kill all the children, they're laying in a pile. The sheriff goes out to his car and starts radioing, you know, to whoever can hear him. And while he's out there radioing, uh, the the kid with the one hand that's still left is in the back seat, and she grabs a hold of him and fries him or whatever. And of course, John, the main character, hears that, goes running over there, and kills her off screen like she's blocked by the sheriff's car but instead of just cutting off her hand he just kind of goes berserk with the sword that found its way into the movie for no reason and and keeps going after he cuts off her hand such an incredibly sharp machete like it just makes such (laughs) short work of those children's hands which can i also mention like when they chop off their hands like they're on the floor looking like Barbie hands and then the kids' wrists are like little pork sausages. Like it, it was <laughs> I thought those special effects were not particularly good. But yeah, and then when he the sheriff is dead, he's he's absolutely hacked this little girl apart. He pulls the sheriff into his lap and lies there with him until morning. <laughs> yeah. While his pregnant <laughs> wife is in the house undefended. Oh, yeah, yeah, fuck that bitch, though. Like, (laughs) he (laughs) clearly was not a fan of her. I thought that was so funny. Pulls him into his lap, his, like, melted fucking weird pastrami face, and he holds him tenderly. Like, I was so surprised he didn't just kiss him on the forehead. (laughs) And up up to that point, you don't see him cry. That's when he finally starts crying, when the sheriff dies. He had two of his kids killed already. He killed one of them, and he doesn't cry until the sheriff dies. And he also wasn't very upset about his children dying, which is something I was concerned about because he like leaned over his dead son and was like upset about it for a little while. But then he kind of moved on. Yeah, he's like, oh, well, now I can scrap that plan about leaving him in the hot car. (laughs) God. (laughs) Brutal. But yeah, he clearly hated his fucking family. Like, except maybe for his daughter before he murdered her. Do you guys got anything else you want to talk about before we spoil the ending and talk about that real quick? Nah, not really. I'm good. All right. So who wants who wants to get us going on the end? The Baby big twist that. at the end. Sure, sure. I, I can go for it. So what we get is as the husband is talking to the wife about like how to deliver the baby properly and is like coaching her on delivering the baby, we get a lot of contrapuntal shots of the... Oh, I feel like we need... There's something before this, right? Because Uh the point of it was that the school bus wasn't the only thing that drove through the gas cloud. Yes. There was the the prego mother with her hateful husband, not in the car, but the pregnant mother, drove past the school bus, waved at the school bus, and drove through this cloud of smoke. But we didn't really... Like, I, I guess it doesn't register at that point. So, sorry, no. Dave, continue. Okay, so then we get all this 
a death and destruction and like everything is dead while they're bringing in a new kid into the world and then we cut yeah. inside of their house and we see the uh, the kid is like real, real quick real quick real quick before we get to that before we get to that i really liked that that was i thought that was one where they actually they like that seemed like they really put a lot of thought into that part of the movie where you've got the the audio of her going through labor and you got a shot of the exterior of the house at morning and you got a shot of a kid with his hands cut off and then a pile of dead kids and the dead sheriff and like some cows grazing in a field all while the audio of the labor's going on and i actually i really liked that Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that's actually where I got the message, like, is it really fair to bring into a, ch- a child into this world with all this death and destruction? That's where I got that message from. Yeah. Uh, you feel free to I, I mean, I was just <laughs> – I was annoyed. Like, once again, why not go to hospital? Like, I guess, you know, the baby was going to come quickly maybe because she's been chugging moonshine all afternoon. But <laughs> – Take her upstairs so she can like, ah, uh, yeah. He's been lying with his dead sheriff in his lap. He goes upstairs, help his wife into bed so she can queef out a baby on their beautiful new mattress. Like, I just, I, I found it not. Yeah, because nice. he he does pick her up out of the bathroom and walk her to some other room to give birth. Why don't you just walk her to the fucking sheriff's car and get to the hospital? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So she does give birth, Dave. Right. Yes, yes. And then the child, she's cradling the child in her arms, and we get a shot of the child, then of the dad, then the child, then of the dad, and then the dad's face suddenly like contorts in horror, and we get his POV, and his POV is a close-up of the baby, and the baby has the emo fingernails. Yeah. No. Wasn't there a scene as well, I can't remember which kid, but like one of the special effects was it had normal fingernails, and then the black nail polish like takes yeah, yeah. That was the one they, the, the sheriff and the guy found in the road to begin with, and she had the had the bags under her eyes, but her fingernails weren't black. Like, for some reason, it took longer for it to affect her than the other kids that were on the bus. Maybe she was older. Well, the teenager wasn't like that. She was the yeah. oldest. Too much speculation for a movie. Again, we're giving more thought to the movie than the people who made it, I'm sure. But yeah, why so, yeah, you that's, your, that's Stinger? What Stinger? The, oh no, my baby is infected Stinger. Oh, that's it's I don't know, because, I mean, it they, they kind of screwed that up a little bit because, you know, oh, the baby is one, two would have more effect if you would expect everything to be over with. But because of some of the tiny, there's almost no exposition in this movie whatsoever, but some tiny little bit of exposition you get from a TV station at one point in the movie, you find out that this is happening all over the quote unquote tri-state area. And in unrelated news, the such and such a nuclear power plant had to cease operation because there was a leak. So you know this is going on in other places with other kids. It says there's other kids going missing, people are dying and stuff like like that so it kind of it detracts from any impact that the baby being one of the children would really have because it's not over with anyways it's happening all over the tri-state area right 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 also the baby's being breastfed so she's mm-hmm. in contact with the mother and the mother's not melting yeah i wasn't sure what was up with that yeah i, I don't know maybe the baby needs to develop its powers Oh, because the mum drove through the smoke too. But then the bus driver drove through it and he was right. Yeah, apparently it only works on children for some reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. just an inconsistency. Yeah. But why? Yeah. I was hoping they'd explain it. Like, why did the nuclear waste make kids want to melt faces to some extent? Like, you know, maybe it gave them yeah. magical powers, but they obviously, they were trying to reason with the parents at some point. Like, they're obviously a little bit dim, but they... You know, when he'd lift the machete, sometimes the girl would be like, no, dad, please don't don't kill me. So there's like some reasoning there. How come you want to melt people so bad? I just I I have a funny feeling if they would have taken the time to explain anything, it would have been as bad as the explanations in like humanoids from the deep or something right. like that to where it still wouldn't have made yeah, sense. I didn't find it to explain anything. Yeah, I would have appreciated yeah. though. And they definitely had the fucking time because the whole beginning of the film was like 25 minutes of padding to try to get it to that sweet 90 minute runtime like they could have explained a bit more they they could have worked a conversation or two into those car rides yeah yeah it's true oh my god could have like picked up a scientist on the way the bus driver could have been a scientist too oh god all right so you guys got anything else on this wonderful movie no not really all right well why don't you give us your uh you know, give us your little bit of a review and your out of 10 rating there, Dave. Okay, so 
I actually like this movie a lot more than I feel you guys did, which is surprising. I thought even though the cinematography was mostly like wide and static, there was enough variety with like framing and like interesting visuals where I was never really bored with it, even though there was a good deal of padding. Uh, all the performances were relatively bad. The unnaturalness of the children's movements in talking about the infected children was fine. Uh, I actually liked that. The score was very well composed, obviously, because it's Harry Manfredini, but the mixing wasn't great. So I think for every good thing about this movie, there's a corresponding negative that kind of detracts from it. Like, for example, the ending montage is fantastic, perhaps the highest point in the film, but then the stinger is kind of stupid and unwarranted. So I remember even thinking, I hope there's no stinger to this. So I would give this a flat 5 out of 10 because the negatives balance out the positives pretty much perfectly. And I would recommend this, actually. Because it's an interesting exercise in lighting, if nothing else. So 5 out of 10. All right. Alicia, what about you? Right. So I obviously did not like it as much as you guys. I I guess because I don't have a background in film, I haven't studied it. I don't really notice the the lighting and some of that so much. So I always go off a gut reaction. And my gut reaction was that this was just boring and poorly done. I thought the acting was pretty average all round. The characters were just completely fucking bizarre. Everyone's sunbaking. Apparently no one is working in this town except for the sheriff and he's shamed for it. I <laughs> I found so many people just, yeah, really confusing. Just the, the story in general, like I didn't understand why their emo nail polish was the source of their power or I guess any of the background to that. Um, I agree the music was was pretty good um the cinematography frustrated me when it wasn't incredibly long i found that it was a bit shaky at times and it just annoyed me um yeah i was not a fan so i'd probably give it two out of ten wow so last week you were jordan usually i'm like usually i love it usually i would say Dave's like, oh, a bit more picky. And I'm like, I watched it and my gut reaction was that was a good film. And this one, just the whole time, I was like, what is happening? Did not, my gut reaction was not positive. This is pretty much the worst video ever made. Uh, Dave, I don't know why, Dave Dave thought I didn't like this movie. I mean, part of that is because most of what I had to say about it was kind of critical or maybe mocking it to some extent, but uh I like this movie. It's it's definitely got its flaws, but I can I can watch a movie that's not well made or not polished or has some flaws or doesn't make sense in a lot of places and still enjoy myself and still feel entertained. And that's the way I look at this movie. At times, you know, I agree with Alicia. At times it was slow and boring, and I definitely agree with the fact that it has a lot of padding in it. It didn't kill me the way it does in some movies. I like the special effects. Uh they did what they could with the constraints they had. They were good enough to get by. It's just it's there's something different about the way they handled killer children. It's not Children of the Corn. It's not that 2010 children movie. It just it's kind of its own thing where they just said we want children that fry people by touching them. So here's a stupid reason that it happens. Now here's a here's a big old smorgasbord of people for them to fry. We're good to go. And they did it, you know, in a kind of low budget way. But it doesn't it doesn't feel crappy when I'm watching. It's kind of hard to put it into words because, you know, when I sit here and talk about it, I can't say a whole lot good about the movie, but throughout it, I was entertained. I enjoyed it and I'd give it like a five and a half out of 10. And I would definitely tell other people to say it. Just don't set your expectations too high and don't be a goddamn snob and you'll like it. (laughs) I'm a goddamn snob. You are on that one. (laughs) You're you're treating your movie like you treat your coffee. (laughs) Do love a good coffee. Treat my children right. like you treat my coffee. Ground up in, in my freezer. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, my God, Dave. All right, before we wrap it up and get out of here, I want to say thanks to Rick from Northern Ireland for checking in with us on Twitter to let us know that we have a fan in Northern Ireland. So that's pretty cool. Thank you very much. And thanks, what are Rick. we doing next week? Yeah, uh, man, I had an idea a little while ago. I don't know. I mean, you guys know I've, I've got a big list of movies that I wanted to go through and do. And uh, today I kind of caught a little bit of body melt 
Have you guys ever heard of Body Melt? Yeah, yeah. I've seen bits uh, and pieces of it. rings a bell. Hang on, let me look it up. Is that – that's not by Peter Jackson, is it? No. No, but it might be Australian or New Zealand. I can't tell the difference. <gasps> yes, I have seen it. Yes, let's watch it again. So good. Wow, All right, we'll do – next week we'll do Body Melt. I don't even know what year it is. So if you're going to be pedantic about us doing VHS era horror or 80s horror or whatever, if this is 1991 or 94 or something, something like that, so what? Fuck you. That's what we're going to do. So we'll do Body Melt next week, and I'll try to come up with a lot of Australian jokes between now and then. You guys got anything else? <laughs> nah. It for me. Right. Hey, don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or any of the other platforms you might catch us on. We'll catch you next week. Adios. See ya. Adios. Okay, so I'll see you later, huh? He texted me that he's running late and he will be there in six minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just got the same thing. So he'll be there in six minutes. So specific. <laughs> yeah, like how does what is the math on that exactly? <laughs> Hello. Sorry, guys. Sorry I'm late. Uh, Long story short, I can't use the room I normally use to record, so I'm in this room instead. So I have to find a new place. Long. That's the story. Oh, my God. You were exactly six minutes. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I just checked the time. Yeah.